All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming to church today. There's not very many better places you could be, I don't think. Yeah. Well, it's an honor to be able to, to be here with you and bring the word today. Um, you know, Pastor Aaron is getting ready to move, as you guys know, and Aaron Brienne and, and the kids have got a lot to do to get uh, kind of out the door, out of Oregon, <laughs> that, that big door. And um, I just want to say in, in the interim that, uh, and I've noticed even this morning and have, have known for a long time that the staff here is amazing. It's a, it's a really dynamite group of human beings who really do a good job in their different roles here. And uh, God's going to take care of our church in, in the interim. And um, I'm just really confident of that. I'm really excited for what's next. And, and I hope you share that confidence and excitement with me. Well, um, I feel hot. Am I hot? Thank you. It's the answer I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> I was referring to the microphone, but I'll take it. <clears throat> so raise your hand if you're familiar with the story of Jonah. Yeah? Jonah? You know that one? Okay. And well, maybe you haven't studied it really in, in depth. You know the story because of what? What comes to mind? Whale. Oh, okay. The whale. Yeah. Right. Uh, a big fish. Yeah sea monster that swallowed Jonah and hauled him around for a few days and, and then spit him up onto shore. That's, that's what we remember, right. And it's the book cover on a children's book, many children's books, and it's kind of the, I call it the Veggie Tales factor. It's, it's, it's that part of the story. And not to criticize that, there's great point in, in all those stories, but often what happens with colorful and really meaningful parts of the Bible is we try to put them, encapsulate them in a way that children will understand them. There's some really good things about doing it that way. But there can also be a problem if stories are watered down or brought down to sort of just a good moral teaching that is safe, but not necessarily ever getting, it's tamed, but it's not ever really adulted. And so part of what I hope to do today is sort of adult Jonah together. And... Um, so, is Jonah about a guy and a fish? No, actually not really. Uh, there are three verses that point to Jonah related to a fish. Three out of 48, I think that's 6% of the book of Jonah is about him and a fish. But for us, it's become what it's about. Every book in the Bible exists to do something much bigger than talk about whales and, and silly guys. Uh, Every book exists to, to reveal God and Jesus to us and help us understand how we relate to him as he relates to us. That's the purpose. And that's what, therefore, the book of Jonah needs to do. If that's what they're all supposed to do, then that, that's what it needs to do. And it really does. It's a creative, exciting, fun, kind of sarcastic, dramatic book. There's a lot of wit there, uh, and it has deep meaning. And it goes way beyond the belly of the beast. And if you were to open your church center app and take some notes today because you don't have the paper version uh, and, and you're using your phone, go to church center, find Red Hills Church, find the notes section if you want to, or if you're doing it on paper, you could entitle this message Beyond the Belly of the Beast because that's fun and alliterative, okay? 
And then as you continue to take notes, I'll just encourage you to ask the Lord what is noteworthy for you this morning. And so let's ask the Lord that. Let's, let's pray right now and we'll continue. Father, thanks so much for a chance to hear your word and experience your word and I uh, pray that you would speak to us, each of us, right where we're at. You just might have a message for individuals as well as us as a corporate body this morning. And so I pray for you to do that custom work in us and that work in us as a church. And uh, so, Lord, if there's words you want to say within the word, then uh, do that, and uh, we, we just invite you in, in Jesus' name. So today I want to do something a little different. I want to offer this story from the uh, first-person narrative perspective, and specifically the perspective of a Ninevite not from the author's perspective of, of the story, but from the perspective of, of a guy uh, from Nineveh. Oh, why? What's that? Nineveh was the capital city of the kingdom of the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were the archenemy of the Israelites, the Jews, our people, God's people. So I'm going to be speaking from the perspective of really kind of a bad guy who had no idea, no knowledge, no understanding, no love relationship with, with Yahweh. He didn't, he didn't know God. And um, yet, when the message came to him, he heeded the message along with, it says, everybody in this city of 120,000 people. Heeded the message, and as a result, repented and experienced the loving, gracious hand of God. Well, let me first say that the book of Jonah is really unique. It sits in the middle of a section of scripture called prophecy, okay? There are the five major prophets, okay? And then there's the 12 minor prophets. So that's 17 books stacked together, makes up about a quarter of the entirety of the Bible. And he's mixed right in there. Well, the role of the prophet books is to tell the will and character and plan, past, present, and future, of God, okay? That's what the prophetic books here in the Bible are four. And while Jonah is mixed right in the middle of them, it's different because they're typically written in kind of some poetic prose or some dialogue or some narrative about other people, nations, God's relationship with them. This one is unique because Jonah is a story about the prophet. It's not a story of the prophet prophesying, it's a story of the life of the prophet himself. What's also really unique is that it's really not too complimentary of its main character, Jonah. <laughs> and so there's truth there, but the, the, in telling the truth, it's actually quite critical, as it should be, of this man of God, this voice for the Lord. He really comes out looking pretty bad, and that's accurate. He actually is more of a bad guy figure in the story than a good guy. The majority of the text paints that picture because of his acute disobedience and really bad attitude, really ungodly, ungrateful, ugly attitude. So this guy who's a representative of the covenant people of God is in this story a pretty crummy representative. So, and by the way, no offense intended, but this book is designed to point directly like that red laser on a gun right at your chest and mine. That's what they're all for, but this one 
in particular, I say, is, is, is trying to let us know that maybe there's some things in our hearts that need to be exposed. Maybe there's some change that needs to occur. So it's designed to expose us, challenge us, and, and hopefully change us, even this morning. So, are you ready to step into story time? Yes. Everybody okay with that? All right, well, after our Ninevite friend tells the story, we will return and unpack a couple of takeaways from it. So are you with me? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> oh, wow. Hmm. Ah, good morning. You know, not every fish that swallows a man is a curse from God. Sometimes it's the very token of God's mercy that sends the fish, especially when the alternative is drowning. Sometimes the best news is bad news before it's good news. Sometimes a blessing looks first like, like a curse. Sometimes mercy takes the form of judgment. And sometimes hope comes from a hopeless situation. We were in a hopeless situation. And that was that, for sure. Our empire had grown up in leaps and bounds under the leadership of many great, powerful kings. And our name had come to strike fear into the very hearts of our enemies. We were the Assyrian horde, known for doing to other peoples things you would expect from a heartless, pillaging subhuman army. When we captured a city, we would lead the prisoners away like fish with a hook driven through their cheek and tied to a great rope pulled by horses. Hundreds would be drawn along with one of those cords, writhing in agony. We had many tortures far worse. Some things are not worth remembering. Suffice it to say, we were not to be trifled with. And that was why we were so surprised the day the prophet arrived. He was clearly a Hebrew. We had invaded Israel a number of years ago and left in our trail nothing but devastation. The armies of Assyria had broken down the walls of Israel and carried their men and women away as slaves. The atrocities would be well remembered by any who lived in recent years. And Jonah had good reason for hating our nation. I'm sure he lost relatives and friends in the great dispersion. When Jonah arrived, he created quite a stir. At first, not because of anything he said, but because he stunk. <laughs> he smelled like a bucket of fish guts left out in the sun. His clothing was discolored and bleached. His skin was wrinkled and wounded and splotchy. The rumor we heard was that he had been spit out onto the shore by a great fish. It seemed like a tall tale until we saw the man. <laughs> then it seemed altogether likely. Jonah did not take time for formalities. No introduction seemed necessary. He simply entered the city gate, paused until he had the attention of all around him, and then in a vehemently angry voice, he said, In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Well, that was the message. He continued through the city, pausing periodically to repeat it. He delivered it with pleasure. He delivered it with glee. 
He delivered it with such gusto that we were terrified. He delivered it in obedience to the command of God Almighty, but he had tried to avoid delivering it at all. You see, when God sent Jonah to Nineveh, he actually ran. He went straight to Joppa and hired a boat for the furthest point west, Tarshish. It's only 2,200 miles away. He had no interest in delivering a message to our people. I'm sure he hated us so much that he couldn't bear to even look upon our city, let alone speak to our faces. But God is not to be trifled with. And only a short way into Jonah's sea voyage, a tremendous storm overtook the boat and the entire crew despaired that they would never see land again. Each man on board prayed to his particular God. And when Jonah was found sleeping in the bottom of the boat, he was roused and told to pray also to his. On the deck of the boat, the men cast lots to see if they could determine who was the cause of this tempest. And the lot fell to Jonah. Jonah then revealed to them that he was running from God and that he was a Hebrew and that his God was indeed the only true God. Such a fear gripped the men that they did not know what to do. Surely a man whose God was so furious at his running away would not be less furious if they drowned his messenger. So they rowed for shore, digging deep with their oars, but to no avail. Finally, with a prayer for mercy, they followed Jonah's advice and cast him into the sea. No sooner had Jonah sunk from sight than they were floating peacefully beneath the stars. Deep below, though, the, deep below the waves, Jonah descended deeper and deeper. Seaweed wrapped itself around him, and he seemed almost resolved to his fate. But God stirred in the body of one of the great creatures of the deep, one of the giant sea beasts, which had been prepared for Jonah's arrival. And with a mighty gulp, he was swallowed. I cannot imagine the fear and discomfort that would occur being trapped in the gullet of a fish for three days, hovering on the edge of life, praying for a miracle, hoping against hope. But God heard Jonah's prayer, and on the third day, he was vomited up onto the shore. Clothes tattered and corroded from stomach acid, skin splotchy and burned and smelling of rotting seafood. Without pausing, Jonah set off for Nineveh. You know, people usually develop one or two wrong ideas about God. The first is that God in some angry, is some angry deity waiting to cast down lightning bolts upon the earth and smite anyone who breaks the slightest rule. And for centuries, that idea has held sway. But the second misconception, more dangerous than the first, has slowly taken the fore. It's the idea that God, if there is a God, is a doting old man more than happy to overlook the indiscretions of people. The God Jonah encountered under the sea was neither a vengeful or a doting God, but merciful enough to send a great fish to swallow his servant and save him for future use. The God we encountered was loving and gracious beyond what we imagined, far beyond what we deserved. Ah, back to Nineveh. The thought occurred to us shortly after Jonah's curt and scary message that echoed through the city to wonder why God 
would send a messenger to tell us of judgment to come if it uh, was not exactly, actually to warn us of judgment to come. Surely, if God wanted to destroy us, he would simply have done it. But a 40-day warning might just be that, a legitimate warning. Well, after he delivered his message, Jonah went up on a hillside and built a little booth from which to watch the destruction of us, well, his enemy. Day after day he waited, would it be fire from heaven or water from the center of the earth? Would the ground shake until the building crumbled? Or would the great wind carry in tongues of fire to consume the great city in flames? Perhaps the earth would open and swallow the city whole, or the locust would come and the people would starve. Already Jonah could hear the groans coming from within the city walls. It was to his bitter, vengeful heart like sweet music. But the groans he heard were something altogether different. From within the walls of Nineveh, the people had ceased eating. They no longer celebrated. Instead, they were gathered in mourning and groaned in repentance to God, a God they did not know. They hoped for deliverance, although they knew they deserved destruction. Meanwhile, on his hillside, Jonah was shaded by a plant that had quickly grown up near his booth. He was quite glad for the comfort it provided him, comfort from which to watch the destruction of his enemies. But when the 40 days were up and nothing had happened, it was clear that God had spared them. When destruction failed to come, Jonah became angry. We could see him yelling furiously at the heavens and hear it slightly as well. He said, this is what I knew would happen if I brought this message. They have repented and you have forgiven them. I knew you were a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. The next morning, a worm ate the vine that was shading Noah and the wind blew with a scalding heat atop his bald head. Jonah wished he was dead, but God had an answer for him. God said, You fret about the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night by my hand and perished in a night by my hand. And should I not fret about Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons? who could not discern between their right hand and their left, who, rich with livestock, are desperately poor in spiritual understanding, shall I let them wither just as they turn to me? It seems, as I reflect on the whole scheme of events, that indeed God was a merciful and gracious God, and he still is that God, and he always will be. Friends, sometimes the best news is bad news before it's good news. Like the news that God won't tolerate rebellion of any kind. News that God hates hell and he'll do anything to get the hell out of you. He sends his messengers to warn us that at the end of this life there will be a reckoning and no amount of good behavior on our part can do anything to erase the condition of our souls.
But let's not mistake him for a mean, angry, vengeful deity seeking our destruction with glee. No. Remember that this same God has sent a substitute to make a way that we could be saved. Jesus has said, throw me overboard. I'll save you all. He's the great ransom. The cross, the gospel is the best news that was bad news before it was good news. So not every fish that swallows us is a curse from God. Often it's God in his mercy willing to do anything to save us. Modern day enemies and storms and sea monsters can come in many forms. Disease, financial ruin, relational problems, natural disasters, wars. Adversity can be God's megaphone to wake us up. Now I'm not going to say he's orchestrating the pain, but I will say in a beautiful, merciful, creative way, he uses it to draw us into himself. And one day many will stand in heaven praising God because in his mercy he sent a great fish to swallow them. And in their hopeless despair, they found the only thing that could give them hope in life, Jesus. So maybe there's a reason you're here today. Perhaps it seems like something in your life is swallowing you, swallowing your dreams. Could be like the, Ninevi the Ninevites or Jonah himself that God is showing you mercy this morning, giving you a chance to repent and discover the God who will stop at nothing until you belong to him. The God who will stop at nothing until you belong to him. Jonah had a pretty good plan for his life, didn't he? Yeah. He would head that way when God said, head that way. He thought he was running for his life and to his life. But what we come to find out is that he was actually running away from his life, his best life. And here's Jesus calling us to follow him, him who conquered sin and death, and through his death and resurrection can offer us real life. Life based on his vision for us, his limitless vision for us, not our desperately limited vi vision for ourselves. Abundant life. So whether you're here today on the investigative side of this whole Jesus thing or you, you would claim to have been following him for a long time or a short time, either way, you just may need this message this morning because in one way or another, you're not embracing God's vision for your life. Maybe you're more concerned about the American dream than God's dream for you. Maybe there's a lack of forgiveness that's keeping you stuck. Maybe there's some kind of sin in your life that you aren't giving up that doesn't allow you to run after him and follow him. Whatever it is, I guarantee you we're all running in one way or another, some big way or some small way, to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. Running to our plan instead of his. Running to counterfeit life instead of his real abundant life. I want to invite you to stand to your feet this morning. So as we close with a, with a song, I invite you to reflect on how and why and where you might be running right now. 
And what are you running to? And I invite you to listen to hear God may be calling you, saying where you might go, what you might do, and with and for whom. There's a lesson to be learned from Jonah this morning, and it's a lesson about humility and obedience and being willing to hear and follow the voice of God instead of assuming we have a better way, which is the root of the condition of sin altogether. So again, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know if it's an acute problem that just keeps nagging you, or if it's just subtly not being sure that you really want to say yes, not being really sure that you really want to follow. If it's the circumstances around you in the world or in your own home that just keep you from taking that next step to run after Jesus instead of after chasing blindly after this life, life that you think you're creating for yourself. Whatever it is, I invite you to invite him to change things up. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this story. Thank you for Jonah and his disobedience. Thank you for that. It's become a lesson. And uh, we listened to it this morning. Sometimes you tell us what not to do as a way of telling us what to do. I pray for each person here this morning that we would, uh, we would heed the message to face you, to listen when you call, and to follow in step with where you're going instead of head toward disaster where we think is better. Speak to us for the custom plan that you have for each of our lives and speak to us as a church for the plan you have for this community, this state, this country, and our world. If you want to use us, Lord, here we are. We love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.